right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right. Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We've got a great panel of incredible, as if it always happens that way. We always have great panels. And it, of course, we're going to feature Dr. Rick, and he's going to uh, definitely go through the process of or asking the questions of you shoulder injuries with our distinguished panel. But before I go on, I've got to make this. If, you, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, gosh, you're I've saying, got gosh, uh, questions got, to uh, ask and all that good stuff, go out to, I think, the website. If I look it up, if I pop it up, it's uh, corephysicaltherapy.com. How about that? Don't ask me to spell it. But anyway, before we get going, that's where you need to go if you have any questions. All right. Ladies before gentlemen, Kelly, give us a little background. 411 on who Kelly is. Yes, I am from Newport, Rhode Island originally and went to college in Boston at Northeastern University a long time ago and graduated with a bachelor's of physical therapy degree and then moved down south to North Carolina. And I had started at the hospital here and then opened my own practice for several years, about 14 years. Then I sold that out. And the company I sold out to was bought out by Cora Physical Therapy about five years ago. So I um, participated in a sports medicine fellowship right out of college. I worked with the Oakland A's and San Francisco Giants during spring training and analyzed a whole lot of pitching and throwing mechanics. So that's kind of my passion is, but I like getting a hold of the younger ones so you can make a difference before they think they're too good to make a change. Gosh, I, I, I like that. That's yeah, I, 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 it's not good that you're, uh, you're, you're next, Dr. Marshall or Dr. K or Dr. M or whatever. Marshall, give us a little background. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for having me here. It's, it's really my pleasure. So uh, originally born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, been all over the East Coast for school and training and stuff like that. College, University of Virginia. Ultimately, um, did orthopedic surgery in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, learned, learned a lot about uh, sports medicine and baseball related injuries there. Uh, but really was able to, to brush up on that in Birmingham, Alabama, did a sports medicine fellowship at the Andrews sports medicine Institute under Dr. James Andrews and his partners. And, um, as many people probably know that that's a, uh, a, uh, center of excellence with a heavy emphasis on pitching mechanics, biomechanics, studying such things. Um, the, the non-surgical and surgical care of the overhead athlete, but also the rehabilitation as well. And so we had broad exposure to that and a heavy volume of that. And, uh, if you came out of there and didn't understand this stuff or didn't like it, it's because it's because there's something, but, uh, now I'm, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina at Emerge Ortho. And it's one of the five biggest orthopedic surgery practices in the country currently. Um, and I focus essentially on uh, upper extremity care uh, for kids and adults uh, for pretty much all conditions. I got to tell you, man, it, uh, this whole uh, medicine with you, it, it, it didn't exist when I was a pup throwing the ball and playing baseball. They just sort of said, get out there and throw the ball and play baseball. That was the extent of that. <laughs> all right. Everybody knows Dr. Rick. It's up to you, Dr. Rick. Don't let me down. We had a great introduction, so it's all about you. Make it happen. Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for participating tonight. And this is a great subject, and it's an ongoing subject, and it's a subject that gets a lot of media response, right? Because everybody wants to know, hey, how do I take care of my kids? What are the issues? What are the issues with my throwing athlete, swimming athlete, et cetera? So, Dr. K, uh, I really appreciate it. And Kelly, I really appreciate it. And I think to start out, Let's try to understand the difference in anatomy. So what are we talking about, a youth, an adolescent, and how does that different than your adult patients, Dr. K? And, and more importantly, uh, what are those anatomical differences and how do they relate to injuries, overuse, et cetera, in the shoulder? Yeah, sure. So uh, the overwhelming majority of problems for kids with their shoulder and elbow, and, and um, you know, it's probably been 
uh, harped on a bunch already. If not, we we can get it out there. They're linked. The whole kinetic chain, the whole uh, upper limb and the core have a tremendous relationship with one another. So um, uh, patients and players who have an injury at the shoulder have a significantly increased rate of having elbow problems and vice versa. Okay, so uh, pathomechanics at one increase the risk of injury at another. Well, the key difference, the little kiddos and, and all of us here on this on this call, is the growth plate. Okay, and so little leaguer's elbow, little leaguer's shoulder are fundamentally the same pathophysiology, and it's a disorder of the growth plate. And these are repetitive uh, injuries. Some people will get them, and some people won't. And rationale behind that is probably multifactorial and and, and somewhat complicated. Uh, but the, the general thought there is that this is a combination of stress injury to the physis, which is the growth plate. So if you hear me refer to something as physis or physial, we're talking about the actual growth plate, which is that area of um, unmineralized cartilage at the end of a bone where, where the bone gets longer from. Okay. So you don't get longer from the middle of the bone, whether it's your, your tibia or your humerus, you get longer from the ends of the bone where the growth plate is. And it's that combination, uh, particularly um, at various phases of the throwing cycle, which puts a stress on this. And so literally, the elbow is essentially repetitive overuse injury that results in shoulder pain, loss of velocity, loss of control, or just this this feeling, this ache um, to these growing skeletally mature young patients and athletes. That's awesome. So, so tell us about the, the, the mechanics, the biomechanics, or let's say swimmer or a thrower or overhead tennis player. What mechanic, what motion, what uh, functional activity is going to overload the growth plate? And when we talk about the growth plate, we're talking about the growth plate primarily where, primarily and, where and, 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 and also and talk about what you see on an x-ray when there's widening of the growth plate in the shoulder. What, what, what are we looking for? Sure. So the issues here will be at the proximal humerus, which will be in the upper arm, right? The, the proximal humerus. Uh, later on, that's an area for adults. That's an area where you can fracture. Once that area has completely solidified and turned into bone, you're done growing. So uh, specifically, it's the, it's the hyperdome of the physis, for, and that has no relevance to any sitting for some sort of exam. So if you are, that's a question they like to ask because it just means that somebody's geeked out a little bit on it, but it's, it's not relevant uh, from a clinical standpoint. Um, and this basically, uh, the, the issue here is going to be either in the, in the late cocking or deceleration phases. Okay? So think abduction, external rotation, uh, when the arm is under its, its maximal torque and it's starting to come forward, that puts a, a combination of um, distraction or traction across the growth plate combined with torsion, which is that rotational force. And it's that which leads to a stress injury um, more than the, the growing cells can keep up. This really is a clinical diagnosis because it's going to account for well over 95% of shoulder pain in an overhead athlete. These are baseball and softball players. They are swimmers, as you've mentioned, volleyball, tennis players, javelin. Um, I've seen it all. I'm sure you guys have too. But it's anything that puts the arm position where there's a, a repetitive coming forward and going back. Um, and what you will see on an x-ray uh, uh, many times, but not always, is that that space, uh, that loosened space, which is the physis, will be wider compared to the, to the contralateral or opposite shoulder. So some of the key points here for anybody who's listening, if you're, if you're getting x-rays and you're concerned about this, then you need to have a, a comparison series of the other side, okay? So you want three views of the shoulder that's injured. And if you really want to do some high-level stuff, you'll need to get the other shoulder as well. And that way you'll be able to look and do a side-by-side comparison of, of what the distance of the growth plate is. Otherwise, uh, that random spot image in time, you need some, some well-trained eyes to recognize what's wide and not wide at 8, 10, 12, and 14 years old. Okay, um, And you're looking at something that might be just one or two millimeters wider in, in distance uh, at the growth plate, which is that base between the wide ends of the bones. So you brought up a good point, and, and, and you talk about being a clinical diagnosis, which I think 99% of the time it is. So, so explain the physical exam to us. What, what, what do we expect to see on physical exam? And let's talk about a 10-year-old, and let's talk about a 12-year-old. They're going to be pretty similar, but as the kids get a little bit older, the exam changes just a little bit. So talk about range of motion. Talk about tenderness. I mean, how do you make this diagnosis? What, what, what clues you that they have? 
uh, widening of their physis or possibly overload of the growth rate? The reality is, is that probably 80% of that or, or more is it's the history. It really is. They don't even have to be throwing what some of us might deem to be an excessive amount. Okay. It's the sport. It's the, it's the sport, age. It's, it's the, the skeletal, age, maturity. skeletal maturity. You see a 10 year old. Is that, is that patient um, average size? How hard are they throwing? Uh, and what I'm getting here is that many times the physical examination is completely normal. And the reason is, is that whether it's little ears elbow or little ears shoulder, many times it only hurts during that maneuver. Okay. So range of motion, I would expect to be full. And if it's not, I would expect that it's limited secondarily to pain itself. Okay. Strength should be normal. Uh, there's rarely an instability issue. There might be tenderness over the biceps. Many times the reference to pain will be anterior. And that is a function of the fact that the symptoms are manifested in abduction, external rotation, which is going to stress the front of the shoulder. Um, so it's difficult to reproduce that. Two things come to mind. Um, one of which is a, is a little, little touchier than the other. If you're able to induce pain on physical examination, somebody's really hurting, or maybe you're catching them at the sort of the height of their symptom problem. Maybe they haven't taken any anti-inflammatories or Tylenol or something like that to, to kind of attack the problem. The other issue is um, sometimes, uh, and it's rare, but it's something that we need to ask about is we need to make sure that the young athlete is not uh, doing this doing the sport, doing the thing over and over again for mom and dad, that they genuinely love it, that they're not burned out, um, and that they're, that they're not, you know, referencing pain as a way to try and change things up. And it's, it's way more common than people realize. And that's, that's definitely part of my job, but it needs to be everybody's job as well. Cause that's one of those things where, and it happens. Um, mom and dad are, are way more excited than the kid is, or the kid starts to feel like other athletes are getting better maybe because they're growing at different rates and they have different abilities or power or strength, um, or they just found a different sport or something like that. So um, you didn't really ask about that, but uh, it, it's probably worthwhile that it comes up at some point in our talk today, just so that folks can be aware of that, that, Hey, like sometimes you can't see what's in front of you if you're so zoned in on, on, on how your kid's doing, but um, expect a more often than not normal examination. If you can replicate to them getting back in the late cocking position, for throwing and see if that can hurt them. That's it. But usually it happens after several throws. Um, and especially if they've had multiple events in that week, for example. Uh, so I, I think we definitely need to circle back and we will in a minute about sort of the psychological aspects and, and maybe reasonable overuse, you know, a kids playing on two or three teams. He's on a travel team. He's having pitching lessons. And as you said, dad's a little more excited about his sports career than he might be. He just wants to play the violin or something. So let's let's talk about the workup. You get the x-ray. Maybe they have a little tenderness over their growth plate. Maybe they don't. Full range of motion, no instability, um, no GERD, et cetera. How are you going to – are you going to work them up with anything other than an x-ray? Um, if they're skeletally immature, uh, do you worry about that? Kind of, kind of discuss the workup just a little bit. If there is any anything that you do separate, do you ever get an MRI? Are you worried about uh, the functional mechanics of the shoulder uh, widening? Do you get a CAT scan? Kind of tell us about your standard workup, and then what would alter your workup? What would make you do something different? Yeah, sure. So it's yeah, rare sure. for me to get any advanced Stop. imaging here. And you're talking to a guy that orders um, dozens of MRIs per week. No exaggeration, dozens. Um, the reality is that this diagnosis is usually fairly straightforward and it's common. It's, it's uh, could be bad luck, could be overuse, um, you know, could be, could be uh, doing too much. Um, but uh, the, the, the x-ray is going to be normal, especially with a comparison view maybe not a four times and it just has to do with when you're catching it if somebody has had symptoms for two weeks you will not see it so i should probably mention that the changes here at the growth plate are almost always indicative of a longer standing injury okay so think months rather than days if that's the case so three months worth of symptoms and the stress has been going on for much longer than that but that's enough time for the growth plate to reflect the difference on the x-ray five days worth of symptoms you might see it not because 
the growth plate change in fiber? Because this issue has been building up for weeks prior to the onset of symptoms. So this is um, not typically traumatic. Other things to think of would be fracture. And of course, uh, always got to look out for tumor. So in, in the eyes of the physician, if there is something abnormal uh, and unusual about the x-ray um, and, and the child is presenting with different kinds of symptoms, uh, always be aware of the zebra. Uh, and if you're not sure, get another set of eyes on the x-ray. That alone would prompt possibly a referral to a different specialist or an MRI or CT scan to look things up. But, um, you know, in terms of at some point, we need to get the patient to a physical therapist to work on mechanics, strengthening, uh, stabilization and dynamic things. Um, and, and so I'm not, I'm not sure if we're quite there yet, but in terms of this is more about a conversation about, um, the number of, of times that we're throwing pitch counts, pitch limits, number of innings, positions played, uh, uh, positions other than pitching, believe it or not, this happens in folks other than pitchers. You'll see it in some outfielders and you'll see it in some catchers as well. Uh, and of course, if there are any internal rotation deficits, as you mentioned, such as GERD, I think that's going to happen at the more likely to happen at the high school and collegiate level. You might start to sniff some, some semblance of that at the junior high level for sure. And you guys are probably going to see that a little bit more than I might actually. Uh, but these are all things for which roll for proper throwing mechanics, flexibility, strengthening, and dynamic stabilization is critical. That plus rest from the stress of throwing are what's required. That was excellent. So you brought up physical therapy. So Kelly, why don't you walk us through your workup, uh, how you examine these athletes. Dr. K sends them over. And you've got a kid. You want to see video of them throwing? Do you just want to talk to them? What does your workup entail? And then kind of walk us through how you're going to treat this athlete. Obviously, rest is the is the hallmark of this improvement. But what are we going to do physical therapy wise? And I think all sports guys, me included, are going to send that that athlete to physical therapy almost 100 percent of the time, as opposed to say just go home and rest and come back in six weeks and let's see what's going on. So PT plays a huge part. I think the kinetic chain plays a huge part. The posterior shoulder plays a huge part. So kind of walk us through this. What, walk us through what, this. what are we going to do when we get to physical therapy? All right. Usually these athletes are going to present with mom and dad and very concerned because they're worried that their 10-year-old isn't going to be able to play. And it one, you can tell if, like he was saying, if the child really cares about it more than dad cares about it. So I try to just get a feel for how much they're playing, um, what positions, like he said, what positions they're playing when they're not pitching, um, if they're playing on multiple teams, travel teams, school teams, um, then rec ball. Um, when my children started playing in middle school, we had kids that would leave school practice, go to a rec ball game and then play travel ball all weekend. And there's just excessive throwing. And then especially when you get into some states that such warmer weather that they really can play year round. And there's just needs to be time that there's not a ball in someone's hand and they need to be doing something else. So first off, I'm going to talk with them, see what their pain is like. Um, a lot of times I'll just ask questions. One, it builds confidence more, not from the child, but from the dad of like, okay, are you starting to see a loss in their power? Are we starting to see that they're lobbing the ball in? They don't have the same pop or they don't have control in their placement on the ball, or are they throwing it in the dirt? Because all of those things are going to be key indicators to me as to what can be going on biomechanically, as far as in their process of their movement, as to what could be causing the initial problem. Um, then I'm going to look at motion. But as he said, I mean, normally their motion is full, their strength is good upon exam. I'll find some posterior tissue tightness often in, in the cuff, because especially when they're overthrowing or throwing hard, especially if you get some children that some boys are just really big for their age. And then you might see a 12 year old that's tiny, tiny. And then you see some kids that are really big. And so when they develop larger like that at a younger age or a quicker time, and then they're the ones that are throwing so hard, the coach is going to want to overthrow them and throw them so much because of their power. And they're going to overpower somebody that will see their decelerators in the posterior aspect get tight, or even in the anterior part of the shoulder, like he was saying in the bicep and delts, 
Um, I, I am going to want to look at mechanics, but if they're of that level of injury, I'm not going to look at throwing mechanics at that time because I'm not going to have the child throw. But I definitely, as they're getting better, going to want to assess mechanics. You can get an idea, too, if somebody doesn't have much lower body strength, doesn't have any core strength. I had a young boy in here, a high school senior, actually, and a pretty decent pitcher. But it's amazing to me he's in a success he has when biomechanically you look at him doing some things his core is weak as could be when I just had him start on some band exercises he was hyperextending. he really couldn't control at his core and I just just teaching him to engage his core but it was amazing to me at 18 years old nobody had even taught him about engaging his core no coach had ever spoken to him about that and so then I try to educate them and the parents a lot as to why these things matter and why why engaging the core, why increasing the strength and the stability of the scapula is going to help make a difference in their throwing. And, and specifically, and that's a good start. So you, you evaluate the athlete, the athlete comes in, they got a weak core, kinetic chains poor, posterior shoulders weak, and, and you're going to kind of get them back on track. You talk to the folks, and I think, again, we're going to have the discussion in a minute, and Dr. K is going to tell us about pitch counts and things of that nature. But before we get to that, then how are you going to treat the athlete? You're going to rest them or you're going to let them bat. Um, you're going to put them on a home exercise program. You're going to see them a couple times a week in the clinic. And then what are you going to do in the clinic? And what are you going to say to the parents in terms of pro progress? Um, how, how are you going to explain to the, pro the parents how this athlete's going to progress to get back to uh, – playing baseball, swimming, throwing a javelin, whatever this 10-year-old is going to do. We're going to rest initially as far as from any ball throwing. Um, I will let them bat depending on the severity of what's going on and the level of their weight. Um, there's a big difference if it's a 10-year-old playing in rec ball versus, you know, high school playoffs. It just – it depends on the level of the athlete and where they're at and what I may allow. And I try to talk to the parents and think of the big picture of not doing right now and causing a problem. So rest, I think, is critical. I'm going to work on strengthening immediately if it's just isometrics and simple things to not overstress. But I'm going to work on strengthening their scapular stabilizers. I'm going to work on tying the shoulder to the opposite hip. I'll work on balance and core things. I might not even be doing anything to stress the shoulder because those muscles might need a break, but I may be working on opposite contralateral limb stance on an unstable surface while they're getting their core and then just doing isometrics at the shoulder to start tying them in together. Um, I think a lot of times we don't see enough proper push in the mechanics that there's a reason Roger Clemens had a huge butt. I mean, he, that's what drives you to the plate. And so, you know, these guys have to understand and learn the importance of their lower body propelling them there. And then it's a matter of, okay, is their arm in a delay? And so we're propelling yourself and then you're just an upper body thrower. And so the shoulders doing all of the work rather than using these big muscle groups that can help propel you there and you not have to place such a demand when you're in that far cocking motion and having to pull forward that the shoulder tissue is not having to do all of that work. So I'm going to talk to them a lot about mechanics, try to get muscles to engage at a point in their motion that they should engage and will stretch any deficits, usually internal rotation that need to be stretched to match up where you need to. Um, and then, yes, absolutely home program. They will posturally, I'll get kids sitting on a ball. I think some of the problems now is we have a video game generation and they are not outside playing and doing a lot that engage the core like when I was young and going outside because we didn't have all these things to entertain us and so they sit on their tail in a chair with no core activation with horrible posture with a remote in their hand and play and then they might go out and pick up a ball and so a lot of times I tell the parents to hold their video games hostage you know if they want to play video games they got to earn it make them sit on an exercise ball with an unstable surface or their feet together while they play their video games with good posture to get these muscles to engage to start taking it all away from ball and just start learning to engage their core in different activities during their day 
I, I think that's excellent. I, I think and, that's excellent. And, and to be a little bit more specific, I think you're right. I think Fortnite and Call of Duty and the things that our kids are doing, especially during a pandemic, six, eight hours a day, um, and maybe Dr. K is a little young, but as you said, when we were kids, you played lots of sports. You didn't specialize. You know, we didn't see a nine-year-old who was a relief pitcher. Um, and, and things have, have certainly gone down a path of, of higher – uh, specialization, more overuse, and all of a sudden kids are pitchers at nine and 10 years old instead of playing four or five different sports. So I think that is a problem. So in, in terms of specifics, when are you going to tell that? At? Well, well, let's talk about timing, and then let's talk about return to sport a little bit. And I'll ask you first, Kelly, and then we'll, we'll kick it back to Dr. K. How, how, what, is our, what do you tell a parent? Parent says, okay, when, when can Larry go back to – playing a position when can Larry go back to pitching or catching so what do you tell a parent and then tell a parent and then what what is the process of return to sport process of return well I mean upwards of it can be it can be months it can be two three months kids are out of throwing depending on the level of what's going on as far as the injury is it just a strain or if they truly have a fracture there and if there's a fracture there yeah they're going to be out of throwing for months so I try to get to focus on the rehab process and getting the body ready once they can throw so we can have that timed together um it, it's so hard to say how long someone's going to be out when you're not quite sure what level of injury we're talking, but it can be anywhere from weeks to months, but I, I'm going to let one physical exam dictate pain dictate. And then I am definitely going to be looking at someone's mechanics and looking at their throwing. And usually I don't, I don't even like to see video. I go to the children's school or to their practice, usually. I used to have a place outside my old office. I don't hear, but I'm watching their biomechanics and I'm watching it from all angles. And we have to make some changes there. Then those things need to be worked on. I try to communicate with their coaches and get them all on the same page. And I may get them back into doing some things as far as hitting, but they get back into throwing. And Dr. Karemsky might feel a little bit different, but I'm going to ease them in. And then we're going to go back and see how things are looking on x-ray too. If there was a fracture there. Dr. K, I'm going to ask Dr. you the same K, question. The, the first, the first question dad's going to ask is, okay, when can we return to sport? Um, do you do any cross training? Do you let them swim? Do you do any upper body strengthening? So, so tell us about your rehab protocols in conjunction with Kelly, and then and then kind of walk us through how you get them back to playing baseball, pitching, batting, etc. Sure. <clears throat> so this treatment needs to be individualized, as opposed to a you know I don't have a, a cookie cutter for this. The factors here are how old is the patient, how close to skeletal maturity are they, um, duration of symptoms time of the space is essentially year round now or darn close to it uh, for a lot of these guys at least 10 months. So to your point, if you've got somebody that's coming up um, in state playoffs and they've had onset of symptoms and they're 15, but they're, they're, they're not done growing yet and they have a week or two left in the season and they can play. I think that's a different story than somebody who is reporting multiple weeks or months worth of symptoms. They're 11 um, and, and, it, and they have the time to do it. So here are some of the principles that I use as opposed to saying, well, it's this for this and this for that. Uh, those factors will form the combination of referral to physical therapy. Um, I'm also extremely selective in my physical therapist to handle this. My practice has a lot of uh, good physical therapists, but I'm also fortunate in the community um, as somebody who takes care of baseball player, baseball player injuries. Injury regardless of age, uh, to form my network of PTs who really know what they're doing. Uh, Kelly, Kelly can handle anything, uh, any injury, any problem. But if I have an upper extremity problem or a knee problem, uh, given her background, I don't have any concerns about her treating that whatsoever. That being said, closer to me in, in my direct area here, um, I also have a good network of people. If, if somebody lives you know, 20 minutes away and they just simply can't make the trip to where I'm physically located, because I think that's going to be part of it is knowing your community and knowing where your people are. There are plenty of good therapists that I also don't know. So I'll often ask them, hey, do you have a therapist? Yes. Are they good? Yes. Are you, you, know, are you comfortable with them? Have they done a good job on you or family members? And, 
you know, sometimes there's a, there's a certain yes. And sometimes there's not, um, I'm okay with, with batting. Um, I usually will say, let's just say three to four weeks. Um, and the general philosophy for me is I'm going to err on the side of being conservative with the first time through, because if they come back with recurrent symptoms, I'm going to be much harsher with my time away from throwing. And I'll explain that to the parents. Um, yes, 90% of the time, face it, it's going to be 95, 5 to 10% of the time, it's going to be mom who's driving this ship as well, as far as the eagerness with which to return. So I'm letting batting proceed before throwing. To me, with very few instances, six weeks is a safe number for time away from throwing. And I base that upon the x-ray, duration of symptoms, child's age. I have no qualms about taking that all the way up to three, four months. Sounds punitive, but it's not. If you guess wrong and you do six weeks, even if they listen and do everything you say, and they come back six, nine, 12, 18 months later with more symptoms, for me, that's an automatic three months. That usually gets rid of the problem, but that is extremely disruptive to the overhead athlete and their, and their competitive schedule. You're also trying to get them to rehabilitate the problem and become better overall athletes. Very similar with say Tommy John reconstruction. What happens is those, those guys, their body changes in the first four to six months after surgery. I mean, they haven't thrown a ball for 16 weeks. A lot of them will shed some LBs, their trimmer, they're faster. They've done more cardio and they've worked on their core more than they ever have. And they, they almost undergo a physical transformation to a large part. And that's a combination of their commitment, but also the therapist that they're working with. So that's a long-winded way to say, first and foremost, you need time away from throwing. It might be three or four weeks if you just develop symptoms and your x-ray is normal and you're, and you're say, 11. The more your x-ray is abnormal, your x-ray is the abnormal. longer your symptoms have been present, the longer I'm going to encourage you to push that and warn you that if you don't do that and it comes back, then my recommendation will be multiple months away from throwing. I need to get you to therapy and education is a critical part of it as well. So you asked earlier too, and we may differ on this for sure, um, you know, how often am I seeing them? Most of the time, this is a 15 to 20 minute office visit conversation and I'm laying out the plan right there. I don't phone back up with an x-ray. I don't check in with multiple times a week or the next week or the next month. I lay the plane out and I trust my physical therapist to clear them on pain-free range of motion, proper strength, dynamic stabilization, and then working their way through the various athletic endeavors that they need to do before return to throwing. And I outline the minimum return to throwing that I've selected for that individual patient. And since it took me three minutes of blabbering to tell you guys all that you can imagine what it's like to try and talk to to a parent that may or may not know anything about all of these issues and then feeling that look in their eyes well wait a second johnny has to throw in four weeks don't you realize what's coming up but this is part of the problem is that johnny will be actually better off in two months if you just sit him the heck down i, I think that was excellent and and, and clearly the parents frequently uh, are the issue so um <laughs> That, that and, and and that comment is made every time. Well, you know, districts are coming up. He has to play. Well, you know, that's that's a tough ticket. So so let's talk. You brought something up that's actually very very interesting, and uh, I actually wrote a book about. Um, and, and let's talk about family dynamics. Talk about the kid who really doesn't want to play baseball. You know, like you said, maybe he's not keeping up. Maybe he's a little skeletally immature. He comes in. He says his shoulder sore, but. You know, in all honesty, you know that the shoulder probably isn't that sore. Things just don't click. Kind of explain that that office visit. What do you tell the parents? How do you handle that? And, and kind of explain that dynamic to us, because I think that is something. Maybe it's not a high percentage, but it's certainly something every sports medicine doctor is going to come across. Yeah, I think there's there are different ways to kind of approach that. Um, first of all, you need to you don't lead with that right? You need, you need some sort of rapport, trust, and bond. Um, and it absolutely will be harder with the family in the room. But, you know, I think uh, by that point in time, I'm probably close to an hour behind anyway. So I'm, I'm going to go for it when the timing is right. But I will just ask Johnny, you know, hey, do you like playing baseball? And it's usually yes. Yeah. So do you really like it? Do you love it? Or is it is just kind of okay? And that's how you kind of start to get them more out of the yes, no kind of thing and get them to kind of open up about it. See if they're looking you in the eye. See if they look down. See if they look at their parent when they're doing these kind of things. If there's hesitation, um, you know, if they're trying to find the right answer, 
these are clues that, I mean, this is not automatic, you know, and that's not a foolproof way, but it's enough of a kind of a screening test to get you get in the door to at least at this point in the game for me, is my suspicion raised or have I satisfied that kind of thing? Okay. Um, if the growth plate is widened, there's a, there's a, an obvious issue there that everybody in the room can see on the x-ray and, uh, and you know, that's there. If somebody's reporting pain and you feel like the exam is you know, maybe off a little bit, they're just, they're just really sore. They don't want to do it. They, they're hunched over on the exam table. They're not looking you in the eye. These are some of the considerations that make you wonder like, Hey, is something going on here? If dad looks like he works out four times a day, and wants to arm wrestle you right then and there, I hate to say it, but there's a possibility that that home situation may not be ideal. Okay. And you don't have to look like that, but you can just tell if you can feel the intensity and the sweat in the room. Ooh, I mean, those, those are, those are tough, um, but it's my job to look after the patient, uh, which is the, the, uh, the young kiddo athlete. So you got to ask the question, got to be prepared for the answer. Um, there, it is awkward as all hell when, that kid is trying to open up and say, you know, I'm not so sure this is for me. And the look on the parents' face is seeing that. I hate to see that, but at the same time, there is say, you know, hey, it's a break that they needed as opposed to kind of continuing to play and fizzling out because they're not able to make the team or their playing time is reduced. And what ends up happening is we pay for more lessons. We pay for more clinics. We attend more camps and more showcases. And like, hey, we just, we're just going to up our practice participation 50% and you'll catch up. Well, you know, that, that's actually usually not, not the case. So you need a combination of physical ability, hard work, but then also passion for the game. At this stage, in 2021, you know, competitive baseball, past age 10 or 11, you have to have that trifecta, or at some point in time, you will fall off the curve. So it's just, it's something you need to be aware of, asking about, and you can get some good, subtle clues. Because again, I go back to the majority of this for me, it's in the history. Okay. The physical exam and the imaging is a small component of it. Well, I think that was great. And I think we've all experienced that. Um, and, and I also think it is very uncomfortable. Sometimes I'll actually ask the parents to leave and, and, and talk to the athlete, just try to get a little back background of what's going on. So I think that's a very strong component. So, so let's talk about prevention a little bit. Let's talk about pitch count. So, so you're 10 years old, you're 12 years old, you're 14 years old. How much should an athlete be throwing? I mean, as you said, some of these kids are on two or three teams. They got pitching coaches or on a travel team. And as Kelly said, they're, they got a baseball in their hand 24 seven and dad doesn't think they're playing enough. So give us, give us some guidelines as to what's too much, what's appropriate What's and I'm going to ask you that same question, Kelly, in a second. Um, you know what? How much should the athlete be playing at the different ages? So this is key. I'm a huge – there are other ways to do it, but I love pitchsmart.org, right? That's pitchsmart.org. Um, it's a Major League Baseball website. You'll see my mentor, Dr. Andrews, right there on the home page. And you'll quickly think um, that basically takes you to guidelines, pitching guidelines. And um, I mean, exercise pitching guidelines, and then it'll break it down by age and it gives you uh, pitches per game as well as days of rest that you should have uh, based upon the number of times you've thrown. And so it categorizes it, you know, nine to 10 year olds, 11 to 12 year olds, and so on and so on. So it takes into account the average age and physical maturity of, of groups of patients. And these are, you know, sort of the safe upper limit of what can be done, or, or probably realistically just below that in order to try and keep the majority of kids out of trouble. Um, there's a ton of information on there too. I'm going to give a couple of like, try not to go from pitcher to catcher and vice versa. The two people on the diamond that throw the most are the pitcher and the catcher. All right. Uh, by a mile, nobody else, no middle infielder, no infielder, or no outfielder can even comp uh, completely comp compare. Um, talk about time off and months off from throwing for a year, proper warm up, et cetera, like that. But I mean, they're about 12, 15 bullet points of some useful information on there. And it's rare that, that there isn't somebody there that including myself that needs a refresher periodically. Like there's just useful information on there about, you know, people who study this in the lab or who treat patients uh, for a living, who've come up with some criteria to keep these guys safe. The single most important factor for athletic success is to stay out of the doctor's office. Okay. And if you, if you say it, there's some ver variant of that, 
most people can understand because you can be talented, you can have all the willpower and you can have all the resources. But if you are always hurt, you are not helpful. So if you're in my office or Kelly's office, it's not good. And it's better to be the person that's that's able to physically participate uh, than not. So following these things and an ounce of prevention, um, you, know, you know, the rest. So uh, this that website takes a lot of it out of it for me. It is, uh, you know, co-sponsored co and run by Major League Ball. And so it's a legitimate credit resource just to go on there and get information. You can track it. Then you can do pitch trackers and all kinds of the apps and stuff like that. So, you know, to say that you don't know how often they're throwing is probably not acceptable in 2021. Kelly, same question. And, 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 and maybe the caveat of, all right, the athlete comes back, shoulders, not sore, throwing pretty well. You're going to talk about pitch counts. And, and again, I think the website's great. And, and, and I think every sports guy uses it because it gives us credibility. It gives us a reason to say, Dad, this isn't me talking. This is Major League Baseball, which they love. But then what, what, what are the preventive exercises? What, what, what home things should these athletes be doing after they leave physical therapy and after they're actually doing pretty well to prevent going back to see Dr. K with a recurrence? Well, continuing to be mindful of the pitch count and, and realizing that just because something got better, it doesn't mean it's fixed and I can't have a problem again or I don't still have an issue. I can't tell you even right now over the past month how many kids I've had come back because, oh, I thought I was good. and But didn't I tell you you still needed to keep doing your exercises? Didn't I tell you you still needed to keep stretching and icing? Oh, well, yeah, but it wasn't hurting. Well, it was hurting because you got to where you were doing those things regularly and you did and you were doing it. And then, oh, good, I'm fixed now. I don't have to do that anymore. I try and teach these kids, if you want to be a throwing athlete, these are going to be things you have to be aware of throughout your career of throwing, whether your career is up through middle school or high school, you're going to need to keep your shoulders stretched. Stretching is not a social time of just to catch up with the guys and figure out what we're doing tonight when we leave and just look at what it looks like we're stretching, but it actually is impactful and matters more than anything. And so I try to teach them about the importance of stretching, effectively stretching, making sure they ice after the game, making sure that and then I think in talking about pitch count, it's important to consider that sometimes parents or kids will think, well, I only threw 40 pitches, but then you left and you threw 50 more pitches at your game an hour and a half later. So it's max pitches in a game. It can be max pitches in a day. And then you need four days of rest. It's not, okay, Matt, I can throw 65 pitches in this game and then I can leave tomorrow and I throw 65 pitches in this game. And a lot of times the coaches aren't on the same page. One coach might not care what the other coach is doing. I've had parents literally with my son's team, a father sit there and tell a kid who said, my arm is sore and my coach said, when he was on my son's team and the father said, I don't care. If this coach needs you, you're going to get out there and throw. And he was crying and it was the most uncomfortable, awkward thing for me in the world because I'm sitting there trying to keep the book and I'm like, oh my gosh, how are you doing this to your kid? And you want to step in, but that happens on a daily basis. And it's important that the children know, but the coaches know as well how much the kid's throwing. So I think that comes into play too. So I try to educate the athletes. I have a little bit of an advantage in the fact that usually I have the kids with me for 60 minutes and I don't have mom and dad oftentimes here, especially when it's a high school level kid and they're driving themselves here. So I can get the true feeling of how they feel. They're in here two and three times a week for a couple months. They get to know us really well. They're very comfortable. And so they'll open up a lot. I had a softball player open up to the point, I mean, can you help me communicate with my parents? And wow, you talk about uncomfortable, but she was miserably unhappy. She was a great athlete, but they took every bit of the love away from it for her. And she was basically begging me for some help to communicate with her patient, her parents. And that's an uncomfortable thing, but you wonder how many kids are actually feeling that way. So I, 
I think communication and education is the biggest key in everything we do. I educate them about the pitch numbers, but I educate them about stretching. I educate them about the importance of rest, the importance of ice. I educate them about mechanics. And I also teach them that if you feel pain and telling me that, that's not wimpy, that's smart. When you hurt, it's important to say you hurt because your body's letting you know that for a reason. That's excellent. So, Dr. K, we're going to pivot for just a second um, before we sign off. And, and do you medicate these kids? Do you tell them to take Tylenol? Do you tell them to take non-steroidals, topical? Is there, is there anything in terms of as they're coming back, maybe they have a little bit of soreness? Um, give, give, us, give us your thoughts on non-steroidals. Obviously, in a 10-year-old, you're not going to give them non-steroidals. But you have a kid who's 15 or 16 – you, you put them on non-steroidals, you put them on Tylenol. What, what do you do in terms of medications? Uh, not, not too much. And it's really just for some soreness. Uh, the one thing that I, I don't want them to do is to medicate in order to play. I think if somebody's having some soreness when they've come in, I'm, I'm okay with Tylenol or ibuprofen um, just as we, I would for my kids for the short term to get over the, Hey, I'm hurting. But again, just to, to backtrack a little bit, most of the time, these guys are only hurting when they're throwing. So um, the one thing is I'm not doing some sort of treatment prior to competition per, or participation in order to make it through it. So um, I think that's a really, a really good point. And um, I don't know that it's come up, but maybe I need to incorporate. Maybe it needs to be explicitly told to the parents if your child is requiring something over the counter in order to participate, they're not ready yet. It's too soon. And, and that might be a good way to kind of, kind of think about it. But again, if, if you're getting to that point where they're deciding to give it a go and then they're telling somebody afterwards that they're hurting again, well, then they've come back too soon. Either they didn't meet the check marks, uh, they did it on their own, or it wasn't enough time. And hence my strategy for trying to get it right the first time and erring on the side in general of going a little bit longer. But again, for symptomatic stuff, uh, symptomatic treatment, Tylenol over ibuprofen, but all of these should be in very short doses and all of this should be just to get over whatever's currently going on, um, if that answers it. No, I think that, and that's a good answer. And I think that's exactly right. You know, you don't want to give the kids 800 milligrams of, of ibuprofen so that they can pitch and then they're sore afterwards and, and you're really not getting to the crux of the matter, which is to get them to heal. So I, I think that's a really good point. So in wrapping up, uh, Kelly, I'm going to ask you first, what do we forget? What should we yeah. add? Yeah. What didn't we talk about? Mm. I, don't, I don't know of anything. I think we hit on a lot of important uh, keys, but I think the most important thing is that parents try to educate themselves and that they just communicate with their athlete and understand what's going on with the athlete, um, don't live vicariously through your child, be there to support your child, encourage more than one sport. I don't believe a 10 year old should sp specify one sport and specialize in one thing. I mean, go out and kick a soccer ball, throw a baseball, shoot a basketball. There, every sport develops different characteristics. All of that it something I just don't believe in specialization at a young age. I don't think it's good for the body. And I mean, I think you develop other things by learning to play on other teams and, and do other sports. So I think that's something to consider as well. You know, I think that's a good point. You, you talk to scouts and you talk to general managers, et cetera, and they, they love multi-sport athletes. You know, they love that Patrick Mahomes could pitch and Tom Brady could pitch and, so they look for multi-sport athletes and they don't really want that kid. Like I said, that became uh, a left-handed relief pitcher at nine years old. So I think that's exactly right. Dr. K, give us some closing thoughts. What do we forget? What should we add? What, what, what didn't we hit on here? Uh, quite honestly, if, if you're somebody that's involved in taking care of these uh, young athletes and patients, and parents are going to be involved. Um, there is a, and smart tactical way to get your point across to the parents and, and part of it involves a little bit of fear a little bit of motivation um, and scare tactics so remind them of like a four to six x increase in elbow injuries once you have a shoulder problem and vice versa everybody knows about tommy john surgery nobody wants it 
uh, I guess I shouldn't say that uh, nobody in their right mind would want it. So remind them that that, Hey, that's 10 to 12 months off uh, from your baseball career. So let's try to avoid that. Emphasize ongoing shoulder care. Like Kelly was saying, it never stops. Um, you should do it before you have a problem, but if you have a problem, this will be a lifelong thing for you. Um, at least during your overhead throwing career, for sure. Uh, try to stay out of the doctor's office and uh, either in the gym or on the field. And uh, try to get try to get it right and impress upon them the importance uh, of being healthy throughout their playing, as opposed to to stay ahead of injuries or or, or recover from injuries per se. So those are some of the things. Lean on that website, pitchsmart.org. Uh, it takes the pressure off of you because it's coming from Major League Baseball. And I think those are some of the strategies. Sometimes the, the kid is just throwing too much or too hard. or They're not quite big enough, so they're trying to throw harder. And it's not a parent-driven thing at all. It could just be a, a physiologic thing that's happened to him, and it's bad luck. So um, just get him back on the field, get him healthy. And um, we're all interested in seeing these guys be, be safe and, and thrive at both in life and in sports. Listen, this has been really excellent. I think you guys were both amazing. So – I want to thank you very much for participating. Uh, and I think parents can really benefit from this as well as physical therapists and doctors. But I think the, the general principles um, were very strong. And, and I think family dynamics are very important. And you hit upon that very well. So thank you. You guys uh, have a great night. Yep. Before we wrap up real quick, how do I get a hold of you, Kelly? Um, I am at Core Physical Therapy in Nashville, North Carolina. Our phone number is 252-459-5565. And uh, have you met Billy Bean? Billy Bean. Yeah, uh, Oakland. Ooh. Weren't you with Oakland A's? Oh, I was there so long. I was there when Jose Canseco was playing, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, awesome. That was a awesome. few years ago. How about you, uh, <laughs> Dr. K? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't know Billy Bean, but I'd like to meet him. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, getting older than me, so I'm at Emerge Ortho in uh, all over, really, North Carolina. Uh, you can email me, marshall.karemski at emergeortho.com. Totally fine. Um, you know, I'll get back to you. All right. That last name is K-U-R-E-M-S-K-Y. All right. Make a note of that. Dr. Rick, you were fantastic. Kelly, you were fantastic. And Dr. K, you were fantastic. I'm, I'm sorry I dropped the Billy Bean. I was, I was starting to get all excited about that one. <laughs> Never mind. I take it. So you've met Jose Canseco. And Barry Bonds. Yeah, Barry Bonds was playing when I See, those are great. That's Now that's dropping names right there, Dr. Rick. That's dropping names. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you very much for joining In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Remember, you can go out to uh, corephysicaltherapy.com, and I guarantee you, you'll have a place to say, hey, I need to find out, fill in the blank. It's out there. All right, you guys are wonderful. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.